the Lord. Let's see your hands. How many do you? All right, now let's see. This is Valentine's Day weekend kind of, isn't it? All right, our center of our affections this morning is probably on someone we're thinking here, our wife, our, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our husband, whatever. But you know, this morning, let's think about him this morning, how much we love him this morning. You know, as we sing, we sing these songs all day long, but folks, if it don't come from the heart, it doesn't mean a thing. It's just a bunch of noise that we're lifting here, and the Lord's not pleased with that if it's not coming from our heart this morning. You know, I don't like singing songs if we're not going to get anything from us to him. And he doesn't like that either. Let's just sing it again this morning. Folks, when it says lift up our hands, he's worthy of lifting our hands and praising this morning. We lift and expect something from him, but let's lift and praise his name this morning. He is worthy of our praise this morning. There's no other one like him. There's no other name like his name. There's no one can do what he can do for us this morning. And he is worthy of that. And we come in here this morning, are you here to praise his name this morning? Are you just going through a formality? Always Sunday morning, I always go to church on Sunday. Mother, dad made me come when I was growing up. I'm going to just continue doing that. But are we here this morning to praise him this morning? That's what we're here for. When we think about singing him this morning, the whole countenance of our face should change when we start singing about him. And we look full into his face. If we're reflecting him, we're going to look totally different this morning. I want to just sing about him this morning. But folks, let's don't leave here with another service where we've just sung songs and sat down. Let's sing this morning. Praise Him this morning. He's worthy of it. Don't you agree? Don't you know this morning He is? Let's do it again. In moments like this. In moments like this.
got a good crowd here this morning, so take a few moments and get out of your seat and fellowship and shake hands and find somebody you don't know and introduce yourself and find out their name. But take a few moments to fellowship. While you're finishing up there, turn on to page number 393. My faith looks up to thee. 393.
right, good singing. I'll ask the ushers to come, and we'll take up the regular Sunday morning offering. It's good to see everyone out here today. Now, if you're, this is your first time that you've ever attended Temple Baptist Church, if you're a first-time visitor, we'd like for you to just take a moment, if you would, and uh, fill out a visitor's card. If you got received a bulletin, there's a little tear-out tab in the bulletin for you to fill out, and we'd like to have record of you were here, know who you are, and to be able to send you some information about the church. And if you didn't get a bulletin, there should be some visitor cards in the uh, pew in front of you. So if you take just a minute to fill that out, we'd really appreciate it. We consider you to be a very honored guest here today, and we want you to be very welcome and very comfortable here, and uh, we appreciate you being here today. Just before we go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless the offering, I want to just make mention of a couple of things. You probably noticed the stage looks a little different this morning than what it normally does. We want to remember to pray for our pastor. He, of course, he's in England today, and uh, he and Brother Tom Hayes and I think one other Jack Reese, they went over to England, and uh, they've already had their church service for this morning. They're six hours, five or six hours ahead of us, and they're getting ready to go to church Sunday night over there. But we want to pray for him, the Lord to give him safety, and then the Lord will just give him a good time of refreshing, good time of fellowship together. So let's remember to pray for our pastor. Then last night, uh, Mark Corbett uh, called my house, and uh, he teaches one of our, uh, he teaches the fifth and sixth grade boys Sunday school class, and he called me to tell me that he wasn't going to be here today because his little girl, Cassidy had a had some kind of infection that he wasn't really sure exactly what all it entailed, but she had a temperature of 104, and so they had to take her to the emergency room, so that's where he is. So we want to pray for little Cassidy, pray for the family, and just pray for God to take care of that. I pre- appreciate uh, Brother Ralph teaching this morning in there. I called him at, at quarter after eight last night and said, Brother Ralph, can you help me out here? And, and uh, these teachers know you've got to kind of be on your toes. I'll call you at any time uh, to teach a Sunday school class, but I appreciate Brother Ralph being willing to do that. But we do want to remember these things in prayer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, again, we come before you, and we do thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you're doing in this place. And when we do lift up to you, our pastor, we pray that you'll just bless him today and the other men that are there in England. Lord, I pray they'll just give them a good day and just be with them today. And Lord, again, we just come to you on behalf of this service. We pray that you'll just meet with us here in this place. We pray that you'll bless this offering now and use it for the furtherment of your kingdom. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
disobey today, aren't you? Eternity, eternal life begins the moment you accept Christ because he said, I come to give them life, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So he wants to make the quality of this life better for you and I by giving us his peace. But it's not just here, it's in the hereafter. And I'm so glad there's a day with no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness. And I long for that day, don't you? I dream of a city called glory so
more trouble or strife. We will live through the tree, oh, through the tree of life. When some glad tomorrow, with the saints I'll stand. Gonna put on a crown and walk around all over God's promised land.
appreciate all the good music this morning. Wasn't it a blessing today? I praise the Lord for all that he's doing today. Well, I've been looking forward to this morning. I look forward to every Sunday morning and every time I get to come to the house of God. But I've really been looking forward to today because I really feel we're in for a treat and a real blessing from the Lord. And I want to ask Brother Terry Trivett if he would to come. I introduce to you somebody that uh, needs no introduction here. Of course, everybody here knows Brother Terry. He's He's the director of our youth and doing a, a very good job, and I praise the Lord for all that he's doing in our youth group and for how the youth group is growing spiritually and, and numerically, and I just thank God for all that he's doing. I know he's got a lot of help and, and appreciate all the help that they do, but I love Brother Terry, and I appreciate him. I consider him a good friend of mine, and so you make him feel welcome, and let's, let's have him come preach to us. 
good morning. I've never said that here before. I like that. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for all you did for uh, the soon-coming addition to my family. Kid is not even born yet, and he has more than I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> so, somebody asked me the other day, said, how many weeks is your wife, Brother Trivet? I said, I don't know a bunch. A whole bunch of weeks. I don't know why they counted in weeks, but she's, she is on the verge. But Lisa is even further, so I pity her. I feel so. I'd ask Brian about it the other day. The officer said, are you ready? Yeah, man, I'm ready. And, and I say that too. And uh, two weeks after they're born, you guys come find us and ask if we're, if we're ready. I do want to thank you for allowing me to work with young people. I, I enjoy it, and, and, and it's a blessing. They, they act a lot like you sometimes, from what Dad tells me. So, Luke chapter 8, we'll begin reading this morning in verse 22. It says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. There came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said unto them, I like this, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, they obey Him. This morning, for the next few moments, very, very briefly, I want to speak to you on this thought. Your boat may be full, but it's not going to sink. Your boat may be full, but it's not going to sink. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for another opportunity to serve You. Lord, I want to thank You for an opportunity to be in Your house. And this morning, I confess before You and everybody here that I need You. I need Your hand to touch me. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that You'll take Your Word. And you'll supply the need of someone's heart today. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you're going to do because it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Chippy the parakeet never knew what hit him. One moment he was perched peacefully in his cage and in the next minute he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. See, it all started when Chippy's owner decided and got the brilliant idea that she would clean out the bottom of Chippy's cage using the vacuum cleaner. And, and everything was going well until the phone rang. And then Chippy's owner turned to answer the phone, but before she could say hello, all she heard was, Shh, and Chippy got sucked in. The owner gasped, and she threw down the phone and cut off the vacuum cleaner and opened the bag, and there she found Chippy. He was shocked. He was covered in dirt, but he was still alive. So caring for the bird like any good owner would do, she picked him up and, and rushed him into the kitchen and turned the water on and stuck him under the faucet. And then she saw that the bird was covered in water and shivering. So in her continued efforts to care for her bird, she did what any good owner would do. She rushed into the bathroom and slapped him down on the counter and turned the hairdryer on and blasted him with hot air. <laughs> Poor old Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the traumatic event, a family friend called to check on the bird. And, and the owner said this, you know, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just, he just kind of sits and stares. You know, I can understand that. Being sucked in, washed up, and blown over is enough to take anybody's song away. You know, like Chippy the Parakeet, sometimes in our life, it seems like the moment we find some peace, 
And the minute we find a niche of safety and security, we run headlong into some new series of tragic and traumatic storms. And you don't have to be alive for very long on this earth before you kind of get the impression that times of peace are nothing more than temporary stop-off points between times of chaos. But the truth of the matter is, in the Christian life, it does not have to be that way. You see, you and I have been offered eternal and constant peace through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The peace that, that passeth all understanding. But unfortunately, not every believer takes full advantage of that peace. And for them, their spiritual life seems to be that series of tragic and traumatic storms. And then what happens is they come to church on Sunday in a place like this, and they see all these people smiling and acting like they live in a constant spiritual victory party, and they look at their own spiritual life and they say, it's nothing but a constant series of defeats and disappointments. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel that way. If it is, I've got good news for you. Regardless of how everybody acts on Sunday, every believer that is here and is breathing goes through storms. Every believer sitting here this morning is subject to the trials of this life. You know, Christianity does, unfortunately does not exempt you from going through hard times. So regardless of how, how well everybody acts on Sunday, they have gone, they are going to go through, or they have just come out of some kind of storm. And if we were all honest this morning, we'd have to admit that sometimes those storms and sometimes those trials we have to face seem too big and, and too strong for us to bear. And many people in this building this morning, including myself, have at times found themselves in the middle of some storm with an overwhelming feeling of, un, of, of helplessness and hopelessness. You feel like there's nothing you can do to alleviate the situation, so you feel helpless. And you sure don't feel like there's anything anybody else can do, so you feel hopeless. When our text this morning in Luke chapter 8, the disciples find themselves in the middle of a real storm with real water and real wind and real dark clouds and real danger. And just like the storms of our lives, these disciples find themselves in a situation that is beyond their control. It's slipped out of their hands and they're pretty much at the mercy of the situation around them. But from this storm, the disciples learn a valuable lesson that you and I can take and apply to the storms of our life. You know, when the Word of God is open, you shouldn't look at it just for historical value, though it is of historical value. You ought not look at it just as a great piece of literature, though it is. You ought to look for that truth that God is trying to get across to your life. And there's an application, a lesson that the disciples learned that you and I can learn this morning. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in the trial that we forget that in our lives there are still triumphs. And so many times we get our focus so locked on the storm around us. You know, nobody ever preaches to the choir. We get our focus so locked on the storm around us that we lose sight of the Savior. This morning, very quickly and very briefly, I want to give you three things from this text that I hope will help you. You see, there's something I want you to understand this morning. If you're a child of God, there is nothing that this old life is going to throw at you that's any stronger than the rock we hide in. I want you to understand this morning, and I want you to leave with an assurance of the fact that no matter what you face in this world, it is not greater than our Lord. You see, I want you to understand this morning that your boat may be full, but it's not going to sink. First thing I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture is the trip they embarked on. The trip they embarked on. Look at verse 22 with me. Verse 22 says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. Now to give you a little background and catch us up to where we're at in this chapter. 
This is in the early prime of, of the Lord's ministry. His popularity has really begun to grow and really begin to boom. And, and the beginning of chapter 8 tells us that he went into every city and into every village and it says he was bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom. He was going through preaching his gospel and performing miracles and, and impacting these lives. And it also tells us that the whole time this is going on, the disciples are with him. You see, they witnessed firsthand the miracles. They had front row seats for the sermons. They were the inner circle. They had seen everything that this one-time carpenter from Galilee had begun to do. And they had seen his popularity rise. When we come to our text, Jesus gets in a boat with these disciples and they set out on a little trip to the other side of the lake. What I want you to see this morning is that this trip these disciples take is a whole lot like our spiritual trip in life. You see, their trip had a beginning. They got on the boat on one side of the lake. Our trip has a beginning. When I was seven years old, I knelt down beside my dad and I prayed and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. And that day, I embarked on my spiritual journey. Their, their trip had a destination. They were trying to get to the other side of the lake. My spiritual journey has a destination. You see, one day, Cherry Trivet is going to leave this world either by death or rapture. And my journey will be at an end. My trip will be over. But as with our trip in life, it's not so much the beginning of the trip or even the end of the trip that's so important as it is what goes on in between. But first of all, I want you to notice a couple of things about this trip. First thing I want you to see about this trip is that they went on a command. Verse 22, we see that it is Jesus who initiates this trip. It is Jesus who says, let's go to the other side of the lake. You see, these disciples are not out on just a Sunday lake boat ride. There is a, a command behind what they are doing. The Lord Jesus Christ said, we need to go to the other side of the lake. There's a, a purpose behind what they were doing. They had been commanded. I want you to understand this morning that whether you realize it or not, your life has a purpose. You see, the, the Holy Creator stamps upon every life that He creates an individual and a distinct role. Every, every life that is brought into this world is, is stamped by the divine creator with a purpose. You see, there are no meaningless lives, and you and I are not just floating on a Sunday boat ride in our spiritual lives. The truth of the matter is, we have been commanded. There's a sign that hangs in my office, and it says something like this. I have gone to look for myself. If I should return before I get back, please ask myself to wait, for I will be back. I read that thought to myself, child of God, you have no reason to go searching for a reason to live. You don't even have to look very far from where we're at in chapter 8. If you read in earlier parts of chapter 8, the Lord begins to talk about a parable that He had told and He talks about the seed. And He talks about how the seed fell on good soil and it, and it grew and it, it was fertile. Then He talks about the candlelight and the candlestick and He says He doesn't, he doesn't put that light under a bush. He what God wants me to do. Waiting to see what God wants you to do. It's in the Word of God. We have been commanded. We have no reason to sit around and wait for a purpose. God has given you a purpose. That's why it amazes me, and I'm going to meddle a little bit. This isn't my notes, but I have to do this. You know, people, God has commanded us as believers to witness. Say amen. Amen. Now, this church, Temple Baptist Church, offers you an opportunity to go out and witness. It's a new thing we've been doing for, I don't know, 50 years. 
It's called visitation. The Heavenly Father has commanded that in your life you pray. He has commanded that you back your local church and you back your home church with prayer. Temple Baptist now offers you an opportunity to pray. It's called the upper room. 24 hours a day you have access to that room. Yet still so many people sit around and say, I'm waiting on God to tell me what He wants me to do. Listen, friends, we have been commanded. Every life has a purpose. There are no meaningless lives. There are only lives who miss out on their meaning. God has commanded us, friends, and you and I have a purpose to exist. We need to go on a command. These disciples not only went on a command, but notice something else. Not only do we see that they went on a command, but we see that they went with a companion. You see, these disciples were not alone on this boat. Verse 22 tells us that Jesus Christ also went with them. And I like that. You see, along with His command to sail across the other side of the lake came the comfort of the fact that He was going to be the companion. They did not have to sail alone. The captain went with them. I've got some good news for you this morning. On your boat of life, you too are not alone. Along with the commands that we have been given comes the promise and the comfort of the companionship of the Holy Spirit of an Almighty God. You are not alone. The child of God should not live a life victim to loneliness. But the truth of the matter is, loneliness is a growing problem in our society. I read an article that was put out by the American Council of Life Insurance that said, the most lonely people in America are college students. That amazed me. Next on the list were divorced people, followed by welfare recipients, single mothers, rural students, housewives, and the elderly. And to point out just how lonely people can get, Charles Swindoll tells a story about an ad that he saw in a Kansas newspaper that said this. This is amazing to me. I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. That's all the ad said. had a phone number. sounded like a hoax, but the person who placed the ad was serious. And it wasn't within a matter of days that the person who placed the ad was receiving up to three phone calls a day from people who just wanted somebody to listen to and were willing to pay. I read that and I thought to myself, it matters not who you are or where you are. If you are a child of God, then you are foolish to live a life victim to loneliness. You are never alone. The child of God has got a companion in this life. I don't know about you this morning, friends, but I'm glad that the Heavenly Father has not left me to navigate the sea of life alone. He has given me the promise of companionship. I think of the words of the songwriter, never alone no, never alone. With Jesus my Savior, I am never alone. Friends, there is a trip we've embarked on. We've been commanded and we have a companion. But I want you to notice something else. Notice not only the trip they embarked on, but notice secondly, the trouble they were encountered with. Verse 23, we read as this trip that started out peaceful enough to allow our Lord to lay down and take a nap takes a turn for the worse. Look at verse 23 with me. It says, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. No teenagers, Alex Trebek had not gotten on the ship. The, the tense of the, ver- the, the word there is, without warning, without any expectation, this storm of wind all of a sudden just hits. Just without any, the disciples had no idea it was going to happen. They couldn't see it coming. Boom, it hit. You know, I read that and I thought, now isn't that a lot like life? You're sailing along and everything is peaceful. There's not a ripple on the water other than the ones you're creating. 
The sky is a beautiful shade of Carolina blue above your head. Say amen. The birds are flying above you singing zippity-doo-dah and everything is wonderful and all of a sudden, boom, without any warning, everything falls to pieces. And that little world of safety and security that you had set up residence in and had gotten so comfortable in is just shattered by a storm that you never saw coming. Truth of the matter is, because we are human, we cannot see beyond the curtain of tomorrow. We don't know what the next day holds. And because of that, there are many times that we're encountered with storms we never saw coming. Many of you this morning are right in the middle of a storm that two weeks ago you never dreamed would be taking place. You see, we're encountered with storms on this trip. I want you to notice a couple of things about these storms. This is real deep right here. You ready? Notice, first of all, that this trouble caused them fear. That's deep. This trouble caused them fear. Look at verse 23. It tells us that when this storm hit, that water began to fill in the boat, and it began to rise. And in verse 24, we find the disciples' reaction to this trouble. Look at verse 24. It says, And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Now, it's obvious to me that as the storm began to rage and the water began to rise in the boat, so did the fear of the disciples. And in my imagination, which often gets me in trouble, I can see old Peter standing there as his knees begin to shake and he realizes I'm standing in ankle-deep water. And I can see John a few minutes later as his eyes get about this big around as the rope they tied the boat off with goes floating about chest high. You see, this is a situation that caused them to fear for their life. Why? Because it was uncertain. They didn't know if they were going to sink or not. And it caused them fear. And if we'd be honest this morning, one of our first reactions to storms and trials in our life is fear. You see, what happens is we begin to focus on the possibilities. We look around and say, man, this is a dangerous situation. Or we begin to focus on the uncertainty. What's going to happen, God? What are we going to do? What's going to come out of this? And when that happens, we are caused fear. You see, sometimes the storms of life cause us fear. But a lot of people live lives entrapped by fear. And many times, silly fear. Louis Pasteur, the great... Um, scientists had such an irrational fear of dirt and germs that he absolutely refused to shake hands with anybody. I read that and thought he would never make it at Temple Baptist Church. And President and Mrs. Benjamin Harrison, when they were in the White House, they, had, they were so scared of the newfangled electricity that they had installed in the White House that they wouldn't dare touch any of the light switches. And rumor has it that when they went to bed, if there were no servants around to cut the lights off, well, they'd just sleep with them all. Many people live a life of bondage because of nothing more than silly fear. But the truth of the matter is, some fears are anything but silly. There's been times in my life when things have happened, and situations have arose that exceeded my understanding, and I am not ashamed to tell you it scared me. And if you were honest this morning, there are things in your life that cause you fear. Unexpected storms that you do not see coming and you don't understand and you can't handle for that matter cause you fear. But I want you to notice something else. Not only did this trouble cause them fear, but this trouble checked their faith. You see, this storm that had caused the disciples to fear for their lives ultimately served a purpose in their lives. You see, once the disciples had gone down, and I love the disciples, I think that their reactions to things are recorded on purpose because they're a whole lot like you and I. Once they had gone down inside the boat and woke Jesus up and informed him, which I think is hilarious, 
informed him that they were going to die. Does anybody need to inform Jesus of anything? Does he need to be notified? Absolutely not. But the disciples go down and shake him, and I can almost see him. Wake up, we are going to die. Peter is up there chest high trying to bucket this water out. John is screaming, Lord, you have got to get up. We are going to die. A lot like us. But look at verse 25. Something happens in between this, but I want you to see the reaction that they get. I think this is hilarious. Verse 25, after the disciples inform Jesus that they're going to die, Jesus looks at them and he says this, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? You see, in the midst of this raging storm, in the midst of all this danger that was creeping in on them and had them so frantic, they were reminded of the one thing they had forgotten. With a question from our Lord's mouth, their minds were brought back to the one thing they had forgotten, and that is when things exceed our ability and our understanding, we must seize hold of the one tool that our Lord talks so much about, faith. He looks at them and he says, Where is your faith? You see, friends, it's in these times of our lives when things take place that are beyond our understanding, that exceed our ability to cope, that you and I must let faith take over. You see, faith is the one weapon that you and I have against the storms of life. Our logic cannot battle a trial. Our minds cannot compete with a storm that we don't understand. Our strength, many times, will run out long before the storm does. But we have one weapon that our God has made available to us that we can combat those trials, and that is faith. You see, faith sees the wind blowing, and it remembers the master of the wind. Faith sees those storm clouds beginning to darken and roll in, and it looks through and sees the Son of God. Faith sees the battle, but it remembers the victor. The one weapon we have left against the storms, when all our abilities have ran out long ago, we still have faith. But I believe sometimes our Lord Jesus looks down and He sees you and I running around and wringing our hands and sweating and calling our best friends on the phone. It is horrible. He sees us just tore all to pieces. And I believe sometimes His words echo through eternity. Where is your faith? I believe sometimes from the halls of glory, our Heavenly Father says, Have I not said that all things work together for the good of them that love me and are called according to my purpose? Sometimes I think the Lord has to look at us and say, where is your faith? You're whining. You're worried. Where's your faith? I believe he says, have I not promised you that it's all going to be okay? I'm still in control. I read a story about a fellow this week by the name of Bernard Giplin. He was accused of heresy before Bishop Bonner, and as a result of the accusations, he had to take the long trip to London to stand trial. He had a creed in his life, and his favorite saying was, all things for the best. But on his journey, he had a terrible accident. He broke his leg. It delayed him. Somebody came to visit him, a scoffer, and, and asked him, Giplin, do you still say it's all for the best? Giplin said, I still believe it. He was proven right, because in the time that it took his leg to heal, Queen Mary died. And instead of going to London to be burned, he went home victorious. Friends, I want you to understand that when these storms begin to blow and that little boat of your life begins to rock back and forth and the water begins to come in, there is an ultimate purpose behind that. When those things exceed our understanding, it is those storms that check our faith. 
It's those storms that tell our Father whether we're going to cry for help or cling to Him. It is those tribulations that you and I don't understand put a check on our faith. There's a purpose behind them. In the midst of the storms that cause you fear this morning, I want you to understand it's not relief you need. It's a dose of faith in the one who can bring relief. The one weapon we have left. But notice something else. Notice not only the trip they embarked on and the trouble they were encountered with, but I want you to notice thirdly and finally the triumph they were enriched by. Even though the faith of these disciples was nowhere near what it should be, and even though their faith was lacking considerably, the Lord Jesus steps up and gives them just yet another reason to trust Him. Even though their faith was nowhere near what He wanted it to be, even though it was nowhere near adequate, yet one more time He proved Himself trustworthy. Verse 24 says, Then He arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. That word translated rebuke there is a powerful and suggestive word. And I'm not going to tell you what the Greek word is because I can't pronounce it and you're not going to remember it. But it is a strong and suggestive word. It is as if Christ chastised this storm. It's as if He stood and and reprimanded this wind for blowing. But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. See, it's not logical for Him to to rebuke an inanimate object. It's almost as as if He was not so much rebuking the storm as He was the power behind the storm. And I will not shy away from reminding you this morning that the devil's still in business. He was in business then and he's in business now. And some of the things we face come from him. But they're still allowed by an almighty God. And I will remind you that the devil is called the prince of the power of the air. But the point I want you to see this morning is that in the midst of this storm that had all these 12 men, fishermen that had been on the water, fishermen who had surely been through another storm before, had them all in a tissy, tore all to pieces about all this going on. In the midst of that, our Lord raises up from His nap, stands up, and with one rebuke, stops everything. With one rebuke from the risen Lord's mouth, there was calm, what it says. That doesn't mean that the rain slowed to a drizzle and then went away. It doesn't mean that the waves kind of died down a little bit. It said with one rebuke, there was calm. It means everything stopped completely ceased, and he once again proved himself able. It was a triumph that enriched them. I want you to notice a couple of things. i got to say this first of all. I don't know about you because you don't look like it, but I am glad that I serve a God who can transform the madness of life into a miracle of love. I'm glad that my Jesus is able to conquer anything I face. First of all, there was a lesson to be taught. In this miracle, there was a lesson to be taught. Through this tragedy turned triumph, through all these things these disciples witnessed, the whole time there was a lesson that Jesus was trying to teach these men. In his question in verse 25, where is your faith? He's trying to teach them something. See, these disciples are a lot like you and I. We We don't see it a lot of times, but they had been taken and been placed in the desk of the classroom of life. And then Jesus, the Master, had stepped behind the podium of the classroom of life and He had begun to teach a lesson. They didn't see it at first, but there was a lesson to be taught. You see, uh, a lot of times in our life when we have troubles, we begin to focus so much on the losses that we miss out on the lesson. Did you hear that? Sometimes in our troubles in our lives, we're so busy facing on what we're losing that we miss out on the lesson. 
And the truth that you and I must pull from this chapter is that in the midst of everything we go through, tragedy, triumph, trouble, or trial, it matters not. Perk up. Get your pencil out. There's a lesson to be taught. Instead of facing and looking around at everything you're losing, say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? There's a lesson to be taught. I had a teacher in school, and uh, he was not a real loud-spoken fella. He wasn't like me. He didn't move at all. He stood still. And we would be in his class, and he taught social studies, and so it was extremely boring. And he, was, he would be teaching, and, and of course, we'd get to talking and passing notes and all that good stuff. And, and about he'd be just quoting a line. He would not be very loud. And, and Benjamin Harrison was the 25th. Wham! He'd hit the pulpit. Kids would jump to the, all over the room. It looked like they dropped a bomb in there. But when he said, when he would do that, we knew he was trying to get our attention. See, there was something he was trying to teach us. And it's in those times that our life is shaken by some unexpected storm that we must wake up and pay attention because there's a lesson to be taught. Notice something else. Not only is there a lesson to be taught, but there was a Lord to be trusted. You see, what exactly was this lesson that Jesus was trying to teach? Truth is, he never comes out and verbalizes it. He never says, fellas, this is what I want you to learn. But we see by the disciples' reaction in verse 25 that they got the point. Verse 25 says, And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? (laughs) For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. The lesson Christ was teaching came through loud and clear. It was as if he had set a grease board up on the front of the boat and wrote it out in magic marker. The lesson came through loud and clear. It was as if Jesus said, Guys, calm down. There's nothing you're going to face in this life that I can't handle. Whether I'm here or not, boys, I'm still in control because I'm the master of the wind. I'm the master of the sea. Nothing you're going to face is bigger than me. The lesson came through loud and clear. There's a Lord to be trusted. Friend, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what new storm this week has brought into your life. But I do know a God who can be trusted. I don't know what you're facing, but if you're a child of God this morning, take comfort, there's a Lord to be trusted. I read a poem this week that displays this trust the best. And the author's anonymous, but it says this. Help me to see the sunshine through the rain. What I count as loss may somehow be gain. Help me to sing when I would cry knowing that thou art standing by. Friends, I'm here to tell you in the morning, in the midst of those things that are so dark and so deep that you can't understand them, there's a Lord standing by you. There's a companion on your ship, and the good news is He's not just a regular companion. He's the Master. And He masters whatever you face in your life. So whatever you face this morning, it's no match for the matchless Creator. I don't know what you may be facing, but I do know one thing. There's a Lord to be trusted. I think of a little song that we sing in here, and I've sung it in the teenagers. He's able, He's able, I know He's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Sing that with me. He's able, He's able, I know He's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. You believe that this morning? I know I do. There's a Lord to be trusted. I'm glad this morning that in the midst of all the trials I have to go through in this life and all the troubles I have to face, 
There's still those triumphs that enrich me. There's still those victories that stand out above anything I've gone through, any pain I've felt. Those victories stand high above. And I can look back and say, He's able. Oh, praise God. Come what may, He's able. Whatever I must face, He is able. There's a Lord to be trusted. You may be here this morning and like these disciples, your boat of life may be tossed by a storm that you never saw coming. And as a result, it's caused you fear. That old heart within you has begun to doubt and question and fear. I've got good news for you. There's a Lord to be trusted. I don't know what you're up against, and, and we never know what people are facing. I talked to a young lady yesterday began to tell me some of the things that happened to her in the last year. I had no idea. I sat there amazed, and I thought to myself, how is she standing? She said to me, God's proven Himself faithful. God's proven Himself faithful. Never let me down. There's the Lord to be trusted. If that's you this morning and your boat's being tossed, the assurance comes from Luke chapter 8. Your boat may be full, but it's not going to sink. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, as the musicians come and begin to play softly, I have to be honest with you this morning, church, I didn't want to preach this message. I had one of those big motivational messages that get you wired up and we's all going to go out and pray down the street in victory. Say amen. But God told me, Terry, you preach this because somebody needs it. And I've, if I've learned anything in the short time I've been preaching, it's that when God gives me something, I better preach it. I better not question Him. This morning, you may be here and there may be a need in your heart. And like I have so many times, and like so many believers have it so many times, it's shaking you. It's shaking your boat. Truth of the matter is, the waves are crashing and the, the water's rising in your boat of life. If that's you this morning, the assurance comes from God's Word. You're going to be all right. We have a God who's still on a throne, who's still in control, and who is still able. He's not going to let you down. In a minute, I'm going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to turn it over to Brother Brian. The musicians are going to begin to play. and I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to take that need to Him. See, nobody else around you may understand. And I've heard it so many times from people, you just don't understand. Well, no, I don't. Truth of the matter is, I haven't gone through many of the things you have. And there may be nobody here in this building that can ever understand exactly what you're going through or how you feel. We have a God who does understand. And where my understanding ends, where the pastor's understanding ends, where your best friend's understanding ends, God's exceeds. He knows. He knows. And I think sometimes He looks at you and He says, where's your faith? Maybe this morning what you need to do is get out of that seat and out of that cold, cold shell that you've developed around your corner of the pew and come down here and once again bow before an Almighty God and say, God, forgive me. I've not trusted you. Lord, forgive me. I've been looking at the losses instead of the lessons. Maybe you do this morning. I have a word of prayer and I'm going to turn it over to Brian. I beg you this morning, if you have a need, you do business with an almighty God. Don't leave here until you've met Him and He supplied that need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your precious Word. Lord, I thank You for the truths contained within it that, that enrich our lives. And God, I pray this morning, I don't know the needs, but You do, and I pray You'd meet them. I pray this morning, Father, that you'd show yourself and prove yourself able once again, even though our faith is not what it should be. Lord, we praise you for what you're going to do because it's in the blessed name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.